Hello, folks. Our Tech Experience Solutions podcast, Focus on Cybersecurity Awareness Month 2022, continues. Today in the spotlight is the K-12 education space. James Hilliard here, joined by three friendly and familiar Connection team members. Pam Alec on board, the Public Sector Vertical Alliances Manager. Steve Nardoni back with us, Senior Director of Security and Network Solutions Center. And, of course, Tim Allen, also here, Director of operations and technology. Let's get that conversation started. Okay, folks, shameless plug from me to begin here. First, if you're enjoying and you get useful insights from our Tech Experience Solutions podcast, then do yourself a favor, like, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We do try to cover all aspects of the the changes in the tech space, right, that impact all vertical markets. We look at healthcare and manufacturing. We look at SMBs to the enterprise, the private, the public sector. Again, today, our focus is that K-12 ed in our spotlight. And Pam, that is is your focus. That's what you get a focus on on the daily. So simple question for me to ask as we get started. Now, the answer might not be that simple to, to get to, but but let me ask, why does this K-12 through space, why does it have so many targets on its back when it comes to cybersecurity? K-12 is really one of the, the most targeted areas right now of all the sectors when you compare K-12, education in general, manufacturing, uh, there's a report in COSIN that cybersecurity is actually the top pain point for most CTOs and CIOs. And the reason that that is the case is because in the remote and hybrid environments in the past two years, districts have brought on a large volume of devices onto their network for teacher and student use. And with those deployments, uh, there was not really a lot of security surrounding those devices. And every device that comes onto a network is a new potential point of entry for a bad actor. In addition to these devices that were brought on, you know, there's a lot of personally identifiable information out there in school networks in their backend systems. So it's a prime place for criminals to look for when they're looking for taking over an identity. Absolutely. I mean, doing registration for my middle schooler and high schooler, uh, we were putting in lots of information. I'm also putting in information about my friends, right? Because you need those backup uh, people to call out to. There's medical uh, type information that can be put in there if kids have allergies, things of that nature uh, and all. And so uh, absolutely can see that. To your point of over the last two years, when so many of these schools went almost uh, you know, one-to-one in terms of one device per student, right? We used to have the, the cows uh, come on into the room and we had some maybe uh, tablets that would be there shared, but now all of a sudden a device for everybody. Um, what is the the fear status, if I can use that word, of the, uh, the folks, the CTOs, the CIOs that are overseeing the school districts, right? These technical administrators, where are they in terms of a fear level when you talk to them? Are they very, very worried about trying to protect every endpoint out there? Absolutely. There's been some reports out uh, recently that really indicate that that is the CTOs and CIOs number one area of concern and the area that they identify within their department that needs the most improvement. Um, you know, with those devices, when they were deployed, there was no education or consumer information about security, so they weren't adding plans, and they also didn't add any staff. 
And most school districts, the majority of them do not have a single person who takes care of security. And if they do, it's one person in a district that may have 75,000, 80,000 devices in the field. And when it comes to just the local schools, not many have a dedicated IT resource. They might have the computer lab individual. And sometimes, again, that might be a parent from the community or a teacher from the community that knows computers but is not a security expert. Exactly. And and the challenge and, and the scary thing about that is if a district is attacked and there's a ransomware and there's an extortion scheme going on with that district, that is an incredible amount of time that is lost from those students being able to learn in the classroom. So it interrupts so much more than just the dollars that a district is being going to be asked to pay to get their data back. And is that what you hear? And I'm going to mix Steve uh, in a moment here, but uh, is that the biggest threat? Ransomware is phishing. I can only assume is probably a huge, uh, you know, use towards the the K through 12 space. Absolutely, the ransomware and the phishing again. There is many districts do not have a policy or a training policy for the staff in place. So that's definitely as we look at what the CTOs are looking to put into place, that kind of front end user training is going to be critical in the next year. Steve, outside of uh, ransomware and phishing, which again is attacking all vectors, right? We've talked about in our healthcare conversation, we've talked about it in manufacturing. Are there any other major threats that you see focused on, again, the elementary, that K through 12 space? Well, the big threat, of course, is um, the sensitivity of the data that these schools have. You know, you mentioned a few of them, James, right? Certainly health records, um, uh, personally identifiable information, anything associated with uh, um, uh, student records and all of that are all very sensitive level data that needs to be protected. And so um, that's what the malicious actor is actually after, right? Mining that information and then selling it on the dark web. And they generally use um, phishing attacks to get into the environment, right? And the level of awareness of the individual that is on the other end of that email, as an example, um, really depends upon whether or not it will be successful or not. And then ransomware, the other thing they're doing is um, just want to wreak havoc in an environment, right? If they can take a district down. Um, they feel, you know, uh, excited about their ability, right? So they they inject ransomware and then they start locking up systems and data and uh, and the school district basically ends up not being able to function, right, because of that. So that's a a key thing, right? It's it's that actor going after that really sensitive data and, um, and, and being able to make money off it, right? That's what this is all about, right? We, we've talked about this many times. Data is the new currency. Actually, that's a three-year-old statement, basically, but that's what they want. Uh, and they want to be able to get it out there on the dark web and sell it and, uh, and, and basically generate their salary, right? Which is, is astronomical in some cases for some of these folks. What I'm interested in, Steve, is how and where these students could be being attacked. And here's, let me, let me broaden this out a little bit. Me phishing, it would be email, right? So I'm and and I'm on email as an adult worker almost all the time. My kids aren't on email all the time. However, what I did notice is me again, as an adult worker, I use like four or five apps a day and it's those same four or five apps day in and day out. And that's it. Um, My kids are using two and three different learning apps per 
class. And at high school, right, my daughter's got the seven classes going on. So she is constantly flipping between apps. Apps change from year to year. There was such a growth in people saying, well, if we got kids learning at home, we better come up with some new ways, right? Since we didn't have the teacher in front of the class. So Steve, first you, then Pam, love to get your experience and what you're hearing. Is that one of those big vectors, Steve, is all these new apps that came into the education space? Well, so the sort of two issues there, right? One is when the app was developed, was it developed in a secure way? Uh, and so does it have the appropriate level of encryption established, right? Strong encryption when a student is accessing and being authorized to you know, get into the application in the first place. And if there are weaknesses there, then obviously um, that's, that's a bad thing. In addition, if the app has weaknesses in its coding, then a malicious actor can go right at the application and launch a series of attacks against it to get in and modify the application in some way, shape, or form to either capture data or allow them to move further into the environment. So that's that's a concern. Um, and then overall, um, what if you're in a home environment and the network that the students are using right in the home environment is pretty much um, a, a wide open uh, scenario, right? Wild, wild west in some cases, unless you've really made the effort to really lock it down. So, you know, even in the corporate world, right? You know, I'm on my home network and there are other users in the house that are going out there and accessing social media or gaming sites or out there surfing other sites that, that could have malicious content on it. They bring it down into the uh, their system, and now it's in the home network and can impact these other systems, right? Which can cause breaches, and all of these things can result in in uh, data loss or a vector for attack for an application. So, all those things have to be taken into consideration, you know. And it's really really hard for an elementary school kid to be thinking about that while, or you know, even a high schooler while they're accessing all this stuff. But that level of awareness, right, be safe when you're connecting out there on the Internet is really something that we just need to keep emphasizing with our children over and over again. Make sure they're aware that it's, you know, you're not seeing right physically where you're connecting to. So, you know, be thinking about whether or not it's being done in a safe way. I want to come back to that a bit later on, but Pam, I bring up this idea of the apps. Is that something that uh, these school IT professionals are are vetting? Do they not have enough time to vet it because there are so many apps for different grade levels? And uh, what's that look like from the conversations you have? Districts use any, you know, the number of apps somewhere close to two to 700, depending on the district and the size. But that's only the apps that the districts puts in place. So the concern here is that sometimes in the classroom, it's kind of like consider it like the wild, wild west where teachers will go in and they have a student that has a particular need to use a specific app. So the teacher will engage in that app, but the district may not be fully aware or have control of the apps that are being used at, in the classroom level. Tim, let me mix you in here uh, a little bit. And we'll talk about more of some kind of mitigation strategies a bit later on. But just on this level here, uh, what can schools do to vet these apps more? What uh, what can we do to help to make sure that, uh, you know, they're they're getting the best possible that they're then presenting and putting in front of our kids? Yeah. yeah. So, so as, as I was listening, I was thinking of the different types of 
platforms and software that gets implemented. My my wife, uh, up until she decided to quit and make me the source uh, of income for her, uh, she was a K-12 educator. And so I live this inside out uh, every day listening to stories about you know education process. And just, and of course, being in the IT industry, I, I got brought into a lot of conversations about how to do things better. Uh, and, and in hindsight, looking at what schools usually are delving into, they're either looking at software as a service platforms that, you know, to solve a problem because hosting it internally is a challenge. Uh, and then you have the opposite side where I saw the extreme opposite of the, the deploying an open source platform and no negative to either approach. The challenge is how do you secure it? So if we're talking about the software as a service, how how much uh uh, effort has that organization done that that uh, entity that published that sub platform how have they done the secure it so those those are due diligence efforts to go through and and investigate what have they done to make sure that platform is secure and safe because obviously they've got multi-tenancy there and then how are they securing each tenant and making sure that your data is secure that you're using and then if we jump back to that extreme uh, open source you're typically responsible for everything to secure that. So how do you secure it? How do you do you understand what needs to be done to secure it? And then also it's you're, it's incumbent on you to, to uh, patch it, protect it. And so those becomes, you know, uh, back to that numbers that Pam said, you know, if you've got multiple hundreds of apps and you're going to host it in your own data center, now you've got to figure out how you're going to operationally secure it. So, so those are some big challenges. Uh, and then, and then I just also wanted to jump back a little bit to the conversation about the, the attack vectors. We talked about ransomware and phishing, uh, but I think some of the other, you know, you know, I think those are the two big ones. But as we go down the list, we've got, uh, you know, the comp compromised credentials. Uh, if you think about it, in education, protecting your credentials isn't necessarily a big thing for minors sharing that kind of data. So especially if you have two kids in school, going back to they may be using each other's systems, and next thing you know, uh, half a dozen people know how to get into that system, and it, you know, now people are getting in who shouldn't be, and then that now drives us to that second part is the malicious insider, and so that that is a big part of of a challenge for the K twelve, and we also talked about that in the higher ed, where part of your population is potentially an adversary, so you always have to be operating with that approach of understanding sometimes the people that you're trying to protect are also potentially a threat into your your system so there's a large diversity of of systems or approaches that you've got to be taking into how you protect your environment just wanted to make one point um, since we're talking about applications and and this is um, something that applies in any any situation whether or not it's your personal life or whether or not um, you know, it's a school or or any other type of organization. But before you consume an application, so let's just say it's a school district and they're buying some type of a, of a SaaS-based tool to be able to, for the teachers to be able to share information with students, right, post homework, put their presentations up, all of that stuff. Before anybody in the district purchases the application, you can have a great conversation with that provider and say, how have you ensured that this application is secure? What have you done? In the development of it, do you have individuals in your company that have good secure coding skills? 
did you do any level of testing or evaluation to ensure that the application is secure? And by having that conversation with them, you can get a little bit of a sense of whether or not they've built it with security in mind. That's the key factor there, right? Not bolt on, but built it. And then the other thing is, of course, you can you can have an independent third party come in and test it, do very comprehensive application security testing to determine whether or not there are weaknesses in the interfaces and something that would be a flaw that a malicious actor could exploit. So just think, you know, everybody that's that's you know, what are you buying a system, an application, whatever it is, be thinking about that uh, and asking the questions of whoever the vendor or the provider may be, you know. Talk to me about how you've you've made sure this is secure. Pam, to that point, though, some great tips there from Steve. Who, in your view, is the best person to be asking those questions from a school district standpoint when evaluating software? Who should and it should it be one person? Should there be a group? I mean, what, what would your tactical advice be on that? Ideally, it should be a collaboration between the department that needs to procure the software and the IT department. And depending on how the district handles legal issues, many times districts also include legal in so they can help read those those terms and conditions with the app. And and to Steve point to Steve's point, you know, one of the things that they can definitely do is really kind of constantly look at their processes on how apps are approved for purchase and how what they're using in the classroom beforehand. A lot of times these apps are procured and the districts are kind of scrambling to control it after the fact. So it would be really important for districts to figure out how they can be more proactive and prevent those apps from even getting on their system to begin with. One of the other things I want to bring up that I know that schools are facing, and I think this is a good thing that they're facing, um, is that there is awareness at a lot of levels that schools are under cyber attack and that we do want to protect uh, as much as we can. So there are some regulations out there. There are some things that need to be uh, thought of from a compliance standpoint. So Pam, I thought we could just touch on that a little bit and see how uh, you know teams are faring out there, starting with this K-12 Cybersecurity Act of 2021. Can you give us kind of the thesis level idea of what that is and what impact that's having on school districts? The U.S. government is taking a look at cybersecurity practices in K-12 across the nation. And the goal of this that particular legislation is to take a, once they get all that data, they want to set forth a set of recommendations for districts that would be optional for them to be able to follow. So it's really for the government to kind of really better understand and dig a little bit deeper to see what the threats are, how capable K-12 is of handling those threats, and then to provide guidance after the fact. And then there were two other things on kind of compliance regulation. There, there's some internet protection and privacy protection acts out there. Again, can you give us a quick little high level on, on each of those? Districts are basically required to secure student records and student information to only those who have a legal requirement to access those. Uh, so students up until the age of 18, that would be their parents. And then once they're 18, only the student has access to student records unless they give permission to their parents. And districts are also required to provide uh, web-based filtering and internet protection. And that also leads those districts to be eligible for E-rate. So that's another you know, requirement of E-rate as well. Are you finding the districts are having, I think these are the CIPA and COPPA, uh, are what, CIPA and COPA? Is that what they're called? CIPA and COPPA. 
Kappa. And are those are districts having a, a difficulty in doing that? Or would you give most districts a passing grade to be in compliance? I would give them a passing grade for checking a box. But for the full on, maybe not yet. I think technology is there's too many uh, challenges and risks that are coming too quick and they're too new that I think a lot of times districts check the box and they're not reevaluating what it is that they're providing. Back to the point that we were talking about earlier, that things are constantly changing and the landscape for K through 12 has been a constant change for the last bit of time. I can tell you that I have seen more of those safeguards on uh, some of the uh, applications that my kids are using and my senior, not anymore, he graduated last year, we're just now getting the notices regarding that we don't have access to certain things anymore because he will be of that age where he's technically an adult. Um, so so I'm at least seeing that kind of from a, a parental perspective out here. But again, they're just starting to trickle in and I don't see it on, on everything. So, so to that maybe, Steve, let me ask you this. What are some things that um, you have seen, conversations you've been involved with that are starting to help districts focus on these uh, protection acts, uh, focus on getting their cybersecurity house in order? Yeah, I think the the most uh, prominent conversation is in and around um, helping them understand what their overall threat and risk level is. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that you have in any environment um, where an IT organization or um, whoever the leadership is, will go out and they'll purchase particular technology just because it seems like it's the right thing to do, right? So they'll do endpoint security. That's always a good thing to do. They'll do some, obviously, everyone has edge security. You know, they may look at some other security components, but they're not thinking about are these the right decisions, right? Is the money I'm spending actually going to make me more secure? So one of the things they need to do is they need to understand what the threat is. We've talked about this uh, during this conversation, which is great. I mean, the threat is real. It is constant. And in addition, it's growing. Now, the next question is, how do you translate that threat into a good risk management strategy? And when we talk to school districts, the one thing that, that I see predominantly is they don't really have a good process for being able to do that. And that's really necessary. Right. So make really good decisions based on your most critical risk to your environment and when you're doing any type of a project that deploy new technology build new process establish new policy whatever the case may be that's the that's the one area that i i think um, needs to be really addressed and then you know we've talked on all these podcasts we've talked about zero trust but i think um that we're starting to ha see the concept of zero trust help the school districts understand in a little bit more detail what the real risks are and what they need to do to uh, be able to move the bar there. So that's what that's that's certainly and that's where we can really help, right? With our security landscape optimization for sure, right? We can help any uh, whether or not it's an individual school or schools across an entire district. We can help them understand how to how to uh, discuss document and prioritize their risk in a very specific way so that they can focus on those most critical things. 
Tim, I want to lean back on the personal experience you had being so close to your wife and her role there in uh, K through 12. The, the idea of zero trust, was that something that you heard herself, colleagues starting to talk about embracing, or is there still more education that's needed in the education space about that idea? I, I would have to be very blunt to say that the concept of zero trust is, is not something that's spoken at even discussed. Uh, I would say even at the IT level, it's probably just now getting to the level of conversation. Uh, certainly in the time my wife worked in the education, it was not an area of conversation. Uh, it, it, it is, you know, relatively recent, even that the commercial side of the world, you know, businesses are starting to really embrace it and move through that process. And that's, those are organizations who are, you know, typically have deeper pockets and more funding to get into that type of, uh, you know, approach. To, to deploy their security. Um, you know, so the points that Steve made, I, I just want to recap a little bit because he made some great points there is, is you're going down the process of, of, you know, figuring out how to shore up your, your security within an organization. And I think we're in agreement K-12 is usually the most underfunded uh, element of all of these topics we've discussed, healthcare, uh, manufacturing, higher ed, K-12, historically has been the most underfunded. And so there's, a, so there's a lot of challenges in those organizations for, you know, districts to how to figure out to get there. Now, there is funding out there. There are grants that are at the federal level and, and usually at the state level, but that hasn't closed the gap probably nearly as fast as it needs to be. And, but we shouldn't also state that, or we should state that zero trust is not like you need dollar signs. It's not a dollar sign in, you know, component is the requirement. It's actually understanding the approach, doing the self-education of what is a zero trust methodology, and then having the discipline to start down that path of, of orienting the organization on how we're going to make this become our approach to securing our infrastructure. And we're not just going to only throw technology at it. We're not just going to build a firewall and put email security. It's not just that. It's it's a holistic approach to building a, you know, a secure environment. And a lot of it is a, a mentality. It's a, me a mental approach to it as well. And, and of course, there's a lot of knowledge already out there about the risks. I mean, most schools have seen some level of attack from a full-blown shutdown from ransomware to, hey, somebody broke into three passwords and we're trying to figure out who got broken into. And those, you know, you know, some of those are just annoying type level approach, uh, issues to full incident response and have to go through recovery. So quite a broad there. But the thing, point, Steve... I wanted to follow up on Steve's comment there is, you know, understanding the landscape is really doing that gap analysis, understanding what is our organization's capabilities now. And that is one of the things Steve mentioned, you know, he talked about the capability of doing what we call landscape uh, security, landscape optimization, ability to go in and understand what is your gaps and what are your areas that you probably have pretty good protection area. And so you don't need to focus on those, but you do need to focus on the gaps. And I was going to point out there's there's that, the strategic, and then there's the tactical. And I think Pam is very focused on uh, offering uh, some of the big picture elements. And then there's the elements of what are the resources that are out there? And there's a lot, and I think Pam is the expert on this. There's a lot of already available, at least at the tactical level, uh, information out there on what you could do today just to get through this quarter. <laughs> How do I get to the, the next uh, block leave for schools? Uh, you know, so if we look at the cybersecurity 
uh, infrastructure uh, organization. Uh, they've got great resources on how to protect uh, your infrastructure, at least start your basic, you know, they've, they've got a, a, a ransomware site already built. So as I'm referring to the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, they've got a K-12 resources. And so if I was in the K-12, if you probably most folks already know about it, but I would be first starting there to tactically protect my environment and then building a strategic plan. And I think Steve and I and Pam would be in agreement. A zero trust approach would be one of the things I would be trying to figure how we're going to build that process through system, systemically through our organization. Well, Pam, hearing what what Tim is saying there, I think some good resources. What are some other resources? Where can others continue to get information to improve their security posture? And one of the things that I've been saying this whole month and the conversations we're having is our goal is to try and be a little more secure tomorrow than we were yesterday. And if we can wash, rinse, repeat that, look, at the end of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, at the end of a quarter, at the end of a school year, we can be in a much better place. So where are some other places uh, to get good information? What type of conversation should we be having? That type of stuff. Well, there are some leaders when it comes to technology policy that include uh, security in K-12. So I would look to ISTE, I would look to COSIN, I would look to CETA, I would also collaborate with other surrounding districts that really do cybersecurity and have a, a, a really well-grounded security practice in play and use those resources and go from there. And then in terms of not only, and, and that sounds like resources for uh, the IT folks, it also seems like we need to provide resources to the teachers because ultimately they are frontline. They are walking around the classroom and they might see little Johnny, because we always pick on little Johnny, uh, you know, playing some video games or doing some other stuff with his computer that maybe he shouldn't be doing. So that's a frontline type thing, but we probably need more awareness, more training on that front for the teachers. Absolutely. The, the majority of training videos that teachers uh, are required to go through at the beginning of every school year really are more towards curriculum focus, um, curriculum focus, physical safety, you know, how to handle like emergency situations with a student, that kind of thing. And security a lot of times is just not something that is part of that orientation. But I definitely agree. And, you know, security awareness and best practices needs to be a continuously and ongoing training program. So when they put a security solution in place, they really need to focus on that prevention and training piece as well. A lot of times with, when IDT departments secure their security practices, put them into place, sometimes they forget about the front end training. Well, Pam, as I was listening to those last couple of comments there, I, I am thinking about, uh, again, all this new technology that's coming into our classroom environments that are impacting K through 12. Are, are the policies keeping up with all the changes to technology? Districts really need to be continuously reevaluating those policies, um, especially as new and emerging types of technologies are being in the, used in the classroom. Things like smartwatches, you know, Internet of Things in general, uh, as well as classroom assistants, uh, those things all require policy written around them. And as in addition to the policy, they need to provide that user training to the end users, to the teachers, so they're really aware of what's appropriate to use in their classroom and not. 
which is is so important. I mean, we talk about that on the uh, the commercial side all the time as well. Last thing I want to do is I want to come back to this idea of uh, parents and me being a parent and, uh, and, and probably a lot of our listeners being parents here. Can we go around the table and get from each one of you um, something that parents might consider and think about in terms of these conversations with our kids to put them in a more uh, secure compute mindset out there. Uh, I think that would be a nice way to wrap things up here. Steve, can I start with you on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, you know, in the home, obviously, um, focusing on how to be safe online is certainly a critical thing what sites they should be going to, um, how they should be accessing them. All of those are things that you can do from a conversational point of view and begin starting to teach them good security awareness for when they are actually going online uh, to do things. Um, the other would be in the area of social media, right? Be very careful about social media. Be very careful about what you're accessing there. Um, you know, one of the other things, you know, is a whole nother topic area is cyberbullying, right? And that's something that is a key and crucial issue that we see frequently in, uh, in the K through 12 space. But, um, you know, just teaching them good practices of how to be a good cyber citizen, right, online and also, um, you know, the start enhancing your overall skills. You know, we talked about patch management. Um, you know, one of the things that is the student's going to have to do in the home, whether on their own home system or whatever, is be aware that that's a, that's a thing that has to be done very frequently based upon whatever the cycles are. 45 days is usually the, the target that people try and hit. And that, that patching helps keep the system up to date. So it's, it's less, well, it's harder for a, a malicious actor. Um, to be able to use standard attack mechanisms that go after those missing patches on a system. So it's really, you know, just become a good, you know, security aware cyber citizen, I think is, is the key thing in the home. Tim, some good parental advice. I'll use a little story. One of my daughters who's now out of education, she's an adult now, reached out to me and shared some information with me about uh, current events in the world. And as I was listening to her, I could tell the source of this information was probably faulty in just the way it was being positioned. And so my takeaway from that is really a broad parental role across the scope is, you know, teaching your children to be skeptical about the type of data they're presented with, uh, you know, ask questions, and I, you know, and we talk about education now is really focused on critical thinking and really just reinforcing that, um, not just accepting something presented to you as, you know, you know, the norm, unless you validate it, you know, with multiple sources. And, and you know, you think about phishing attempts and some of those types of activities, you need to be skeptical. If, you know, if somebody's reaching out to a child, that child needs to learn to say, this doesn't make sense. Why is this? deal being offered to me too good to be true. And so I think that's one of the biggest takeaways as a parent that I could, you know, offer up. And Pam, we're going to give you the last word. For me, I think my best advice to parents is don't be afraid to ask for help because we know that, you know, parents are busy with their own lives, their jobs, and sometimes with the amount of technology and new information that's out there, sometimes it's difficult for parents to really understand the risks 
that their children face when they're online. So don't hesitate to ask for help and reach out to some community partners or the district itself and ask what kinds of websites or um, tools that they have to help educate the parents as well so that they can then have those conversations with their students. I appreciate all those tips, folks. I hope you do as well. I'll give you a little contact information. One, connection.com slash cybersecurity awareness month. That is where we are featuring a lot of content, other podcast conversations. So make sure you check that out again. Connection.com slash cybersecurity awareness month. Of course, connection.com. You can search and look up all sorts of educational resources. And if you have an account management team in place, talk to those folks because they're one of your best resources to continue this conversation. We hope we gave you some things to think about during the Cybersecurity Awareness Month with a focus uh, this time on K-12. through With that, my thanks to uh, everybody for being on board. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. With that, we're going to wrap things up. As always, be safe, be well, and we do look forward to talking to you all down the road.